0: Welcome to this week's cut. I just finished up a great conversation with my good friend Matt Lane. Um, We wanted to keep it to about 30 minutes, but we ended up going much longer than that. I've got it cut down to about an hour. Uh, There's a whole lot of great information from Matt. Uh, If you're interested in uh, learning a little bit more about keeping yourself safe, if you're a concealed weapons holder, Uh, A lot of great information on what you can carry or good options. Uh, Take a listen. I'd love to hear any comments afterwards on how we can improve this podcast. It is the first one. So uh, be gentle. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everyone. Ryan Weeks and Matt Lane here. This is episode one of this week's Cut podcast. Uh, Glad you guys have joined us and listened to us. Hopefully we can entertain you guys. A little bit about Matt. Um, He's a father of two kids. Uh, He's been spending a lot of time in my shop, uh, working on knives of his own design and doing a lot of hand sanding for me as an apprentice, which is nice that we can be part of the apprenticeship programs where you get free labor. (laughs) Um, He's a US Army veteran. He's worked security for the Department of Energy. He's an avid outdoorsman. one thing about Matt that a lot of people don't know is that he uh, has had quite a bit of training um, and real-life experiences with weapons and hand-to-hand type combat. And uh, Hopefully we can touch a little bit on some things tonight. Uh, uh, we'll start out with Matt. Glad to have you, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, let's start with the knife stuff. Okay. Uh, or Actually, let's talk about when we first met. If I remember right, we met at a get together in Utah down at Blade HQ. That's correct. Um you were there with a another military buddy. Yeah, my my good friend Dan. Okay. Um after that we found out we were both bountiful boys. Um Matt Wanted to come by the shop, and okay. I was—I begged to come to your shop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was I at the other house when you first came over? Was it... yeah, okay. yeah, it was at the other house. So. so we had another house. It was more of a shed. My wife always called it a shed, and I'd get really upset because no one wants to buy a knife made in a shed. <laughs> uh, at this house, I have a shop, so she still calls it a shed sometimes. But uh, so yeah, Matt came over. He's, he he uh, knows a lot about knives. Um, got a pretty decent collection of knives and uh gradually showing him some of the steps and he's he's designed some of his own designs and finished two or three knives I think three three knives uh, his Had own a design work
1: in progresses,
0: but start and finish start to finish so um what else? Um, I think that's it for the knife stuff. Uh, I'll try to put up some some pictures maybe on YouTube of some of the knives he's done. I think he's got a project that he's been working on. You want to tell us a bit about the your unit's knife that you thought about?
1: Yeah, so I had a lot of interest from uh, guys that I served with. Um, of course, we like to support each other and stuff, so they were like, hey, you should uh, make some knives, maybe do a run for, for the old unit and stuff. So Working on a prototype right now, so depending on how that goes. Uh, Why don't you uh, start me out with Uh, your military
0: career and and how that all, I I guess, your military history.
1: Cool. Yeah, I mean, ever since I was little, I knew I wanted to to join the military. And uh, I was in the the Navy SEA cadets for a little bit. And then when I graduated, I was actually 17 when I graduated and enlisted. And I was in boot camp at Fort Benning, Georgia, when I was 17. Um, From there, I got orders to go to the 101st Airborne. Uh, That was in 2001, so I enlisted in 2001, and September 11th actually happened while I was in boot camp, and that kind of changed the path of of everything, Hmm. because there wasn't a lot going on at the time. Um, Did that kind of light a fire under you I I was already pretty motivated, but it was quiet at the time, so I think it it motivated me more. Yeah. So, Hmm. and... Went to the 101st Airborne. I was with the 502nd Infantry Regiment, so I enlisted in the infantry. Uh, 2003, we got deployed to Kuwait. We staged out of there for the invasion of Iraq, and I was there for just shy of of a year. Redeployed in 2004. I got off active duty in 2004, and then I enlisted in the National Guard, and they didn't have an infantry unit here. So I ended up going into the combat engineers, and I got assigned to a a sapper platoon, which is more explosive, so it's not really building stuff, it's more learning demolition and stuff like that. Um, I did that for three years, and then I did private security for Department of Energy. I did about five years doing that, and that was a really good experience too. Let me jump
0: in real quick. So I wasn't aware, and Department of Energy, I went on their website. Obviously, Department of Energy handles a wide variety of stuff. They, they're they kind of the green uh, part of the military. I noticed they do a lot of promotional on on uh, climate change and all that kind of stuff. But they also cover uh, the nuclear power side of, of everything. So I, I just went on their website and grabbed from their... Uh, description of what they do, um, and I'm going to read it. The Department of Energy plays an important and multifaceted role in protecting national security in addition to work to increase nuclear non-proliferation and ensure the security of the U.S. nuclear weapons stockpile. We manage strategic, strategic petroleum reserve, invest in protections against cyber and physical attack on the U.S., energy infrastructure, conduct programs, and ensure worker health and safety, provide training tools and procedures for emergency response and preparedness, and fight the effects of climate change. So that's a pretty broad range, and a lot of stuff that's in the news right now, just from that paragraph, the thing that stuck out to me was cyber and physical attacks on U.S. energy and infrastructure. So with all this Russia talk of of cyber attacks and that obviously getting control of nuclear weapons and all that's part of the department of energy. So a
1: fairly restricted high classification job for sure. I, I had to have a a clearance for it. Um, I can't go into too many details, but essentially, you know, we're, we're protecting the assets of it. Um, not just for nuclear bombs, but also, you know, what we call dirty bombs and, and things like that, but also Greenpeace, you know, they may do sabotage, uh, things of that nature. So
0: Electricity, water supply, all that kind of stuff that people could basically taint, for lack of a better word. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I don't use too often, (laughs) but anyway.
1: (laughs) I don't think Um. any of us do, but
0: that's that's a good way to put it. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on. So so Department of Energy, I wasn't aware of all of what they covered, and I yeah. wasn't even aware that they were here in Utah, but it sounds like they're all over the place. Yeah, they're pretty much
1: all over. Um, and also, w- when I was working with DOE, I was in the National Guard at the same time, and I did two deployments with them. I did a humanitarian mission, which was more building, building schools and, and hospitals and little clinics in Nicaragua. So I went to Nicaragua for a little bit. And then also when Katrina happened, I got deployed for there. So, you know, my military career was kind of interesting. I mean, it was fairly short compared to a lot of people, but I was able to to get combat experience. I was able to do a humanitarian mission and also natural disaster, which is kind of the cornerstone of, of the National Guard. So it was interesting to, to be involved in, in kind of all three aspects of it. So, okay. So you, you blew past quite a bit of stuff. Um, just
0: from stories that you've told me and, and kind of impressions I've gotten. Um, when you first went into Iraq, that was the first troops to go into Kuwait. Um, you were with the troops when they. you see the famous videos of pulling down Saddam's statue and hitting it with their shoes. That was the time when you were, were in there? Correct.
1: Okay. Uh, my my unit actually liberated uh, four key cities, so we we played a role in the initial invasion. And I would, actually, the 101st isn't an airborne unit; it's an air assault. So we do a lot of helicopter operations. So
0: so it's not not always parachuting in. It's basically being delivered by airborne.
1: Right? Yeah. So it could be helicopters landing, uh, fast rope, propelling, any type of operations. But also, we can move equipment with with helicopters. Okay. Uh,
0: you've talked a little bit about being, and and I I don't know that we want to go too much into it, but, um, the military catching up to you guys as you moved forward was, was a challenge, um, support, um, setting up camp, water, all that was very slow
1: coming from, from what I've heard. Yeah. It, it it was miserable (laughs) to to say the least. the time that I was there, you know, we we were moving so fast that our support elements couldn't keep up with us. Um, there was times when, you know, we'd go one two days without water. There'd be a few days without food. You hmm. know, uh, we didn't even have a rucksack, so we we were fighting out of our assault packs, which is just your baseline gear. So when we when we air in, we we loaded up our rucksacks onto a, a truck, and we didn't see those for three weeks to a month. So we were living pretty much out of a backpack. The trucks were so far behind you that yeah. they never showed up. They were at a different staging area because we'd air aerosol into to the edge of the city. We'd clear the city. We'd hitch a ride with with the helicopters and we were just moving. I mean, at that time, we were just running and gunning for so long. Hmm. I mean, crazy. It, it was long. Hmm. A few days without sleep like it. It really built that mental toughness, I think. <laughs> did you get a chance to try some of the local food? I did. So. Yeah. Basically, how yeah, you supplemented what you couldn't have. I don't know if I can say this, but I didn't have a solid crap the whole time <laughs> I, I was on deployment. So I don't know if it made me sick, but <laughs> yeah, I, I tried the food. Good. We're going to
0: go into personal defense, a little bit of what he carries, why he carries it, uh, a lot of practical... Um, information that Matt has, and, and I've been blessed to kind of hear from him and, and learn about it, but um thought we'd share it. So I'll let you take
1: over, Matt. Maybe the best thing to start with would be uh, what? Probably just going over EDC, um, my, my take on it. Okay. Everybody's a little bit different. Um, one thing I learned in the military is the mission always dictates the gear, right? So no, I'm not carrying all this stuff all the time. But depending on my environment, I will take into consideration what I will carry. Um, you know, starting out for me, I, I like a nice stiff belt. Um, this is your platform that you're gonna carry some of your gear on. If you got a really flimsy belt, it's gonna get uncomfortable carrying your firearm with. Um, so here's one with more of a heavy-duty buckle. It's called a riggers belt, and the good thing about this is in an ur- urban environment, if you really needed to, if you were stuck on the third floor in your your office building or whatever, you can actually repel with this belt. So you could you could rig something up um, to, to, to move down. Okay,
0: so I've, I've recognized the belt. I've seen that before. This buckle is an uh, add-on or did
1: that come with the belt? Uh, it came with it. It's, it's an Alpine buckle. Um, so it's a little bit easier to take on and off, which I really like. So I can cinch it down. And then if I gotta use the bathroom or whatever, I can pinch these two buckles or these two levers. So you're a drop your pants to go to the bathroom kind of guy? Well, or I not got... a
0: not a fly kind of guy. Oh well I, guess if I gotta go number two. I got some. <laughs> <I got> <laughs> um,
1: this dynamis alliance belt, I I really like this. Um has a couple of hidden compartments in it. So you got the front portion. Um, you could hide money in it. So if I'm traveling overseas, I, I like to keep some money on me um, for for any reason. I mean, with oh, it a being winter, yeah. I mean, let's say I get stuck in a stow bank, I gotta get pulled out. Hey man, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you pull me out. Right. Bam. Took care of the situation instead of spending the night there waiting for a tow truck, whatever. Um, so I can I can hide cash in here. Behind here is another hiding spot. I got some Kevlar cord, uh, a handcuff key, so if I'm detained illegally. Or legally. Or legally. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't get out if it's legally. <laughs> and then I got a ceramic razor, so it's just a couple couple items. A I ceramic can, razor? Yeah. I'm not familiar with the ceramic razor. So I can either. cut duct tape with it. Um, Kevlar cord I can also use to, to cut flex cuffs. Nice. Um, could be handy and... If you get restrained illegally. So
0: was a good thing, too, to have money hidden, especially traveling foreign countries. Uh, it's really easy to dump your pockets, give them every, have everything they have, and um, just get rid of it so that you uh, can get out of that situation. You still have money to get home, uh, at least to your hotel, so that you can take care of the problem. So that's definitely good. Yeah, you don't want to be
1: stranded. Yeah. Cool. Okay, um, so moving on. So we got firearms. Uh, me personally, I like the Glock 19. They are both unloaded. Um, I got two different ones here. I got this one that I keep a dedicated Surefire XE one. So weapons light. I mean, they've they've come a long ways. You know, this is a Surefire X300 Ultra. I mean, you can see the size of that compared to to the XC1, and the good thing about this is, man, I can carry this this weapon light on it, conceal my firearm, and it's not going to be printing all that much. Um, I got a dedicated weapon light, which is always a good way way to run. I always carry a backup though, if one goes out, or I got to shine my light on something I don't want to, you know, flag with with my handgun. Um, so those are, those are two different options, um, but I'm I'm really liking this. This new Surefire light, Very nice. Nice and compact. Um, And then I got a couple different holsters. I really like the the G-Code holster. This is the Haley Strategic G-Code holster. It's the NCOG. I've been running this thing for... Man, once they released them, I pretty much jumped on it and got it soon after they came out. So I've been running this thing for probably three years, maybe... And Maybe a little bit longer.
0: Do You like the appendix carry? That's what I think this one is set up for.
1: Um, there's a time and place for for which way I carry. Um, there's pros and cons to both. Sometimes sitting down, if if your firearm's like a Glock 19, it might be a little uncomfortable. little uncomfortable. But if you got a 43, it can be comfortable. If if it's summertime, it's I feel like it's easier to conceal. Um, if I'm fighting from. From my vehicle, you're able to access your firearm a lot quicker because I'm not fumbling with my seatbelt. I'm not having to move position so I can get my firearm out. Where if I'm running an appendix, you know it's it's right there, it's accessible. Yeah.
0: I also have the G code with the Haley strategic setup.
1: And then I got the, the mag caddy too, so I can attach that. Nice. Okay. Um I, I do like to carry a spare mag. I don't have any live ammo over here because anytime I'm messing around with with firearms, I like to to keep ammo in in a different location. That way, nobody has any accidents. All right. Um, another one is the the T Rex Arms holster. This is actually one of my friends. He's let me try it out. Uh, it's super comfortable. I, I really like it. Um, it's a little bit more comfortable carrying appendix with this one. And I'm sure if I play with with the clips a little bit on on the g-code i could i can make it more comfortable because sometimes i'm carrying appendix sometimes i'm carrying at the four o'clock position um and your clothing is going to dictate you know maybe if i'm in a suit and tie i can't really have things on the sides i might be printing a little bit more so maybe more in the four o'clock position is a better position um you know even some of these holsters you can throw on your gym shorts so if i'm if i'm heading to the gym or whatever that way i I'm always I'm always prepared. Okay. So so those are two firearms. And I like to keep my gear pretty streamlined. So.
0: Well, let's since you bring that up, let's talk about consistency. Okay. Uh, Say you like to carry one gun one day and one gun another day. Uh, You have this, what is it called? Motor memory recall where. In a panic situation, you're going to do whatever your brain thinks is the most common and the most, basically how you carry most often. Do you worry about that if you're carrying in different locations on your person Um, or you think you're able to just get your mind around where your
1: weapons are in the time something is needed? Yeah. Me personally, what I'll do is when I get ready for the day, I will draw a couple times. So I'm... I'm getting used to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to reaching at what position I'm at. Um, so you
0: will change on occasion location, but you always definitely. reinforce where it is for that day. Exactly.
1: Okay. Because under stress, people think you're going to rise to the occasion. It doesn't happen. You're going to fall to your lowest level of training. So whatever I've been doing and, you know, go, go into training, a lot of people have what we call training scars. So they're, they're training the wrong way. And under stress... You're, you're not going to do it the other way. Uh, one good example is some people don't like the magazine falling on, on the ground, right? So when they're doing reloads, you know, they'll, they'll take the magazine, they'll put it in their pocket, they'll grab a new one, they'll put it in, and guess what? If something happens, uh, you have a malfunction, you run dry, you're going to do the same thing under right. stress because you've got those repetitions, you know, you're not going to rise to the occasion. You can't say, hey, if this happened, I would do it this way. But just because I don't want to damage my magazine, I'm going to do it this way.
0: Right. So So train, how, how does the saying go? Train like you, or practice like you. Train as you fight. Train it, there you go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Train as you fight. Okay. okay, sorry. So I always carry light. Even though it's it's daytime, you know, going inside buildings, it can get dark. You know, what happens if the power goes out while you're you're at Walmart? I mean that's a big place. Right. You know, it, it could be or take movie theaters or movie theater. could be anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I like to carry light. Um for me it lights up my environment. Also, I can use some of these for impact tools. Um it's very non-threatening, so if if a situation's going down and I, I stage my light, you know, I can check out these blind spots where people like to hide. Um, when they're doing bad things. So I can light up these areas so I know exactly what's going on around me. I got that good situation awareness. And if something goes down, I can hold this in my hand where if something's questionable, and then if something goes down, I, I can strike with it. And, you know, it's not like me pulling out my firearm where, right. you know, now I'm brandishing a weapon. So so that's that's one other tool to, to have in your toolbox. Kind of a first-level defense. Exactly. Usually, I'll probably go, go hands, and then from there start, start escalating up to, to other equipment. You know, which could be a flashlight. It could be a, a baton. Okay. So or we'll it, come back to that. Could be an
0: escalation. Knife. Yeah. What else do you? Have? Um, My favorite topic. Knife. Let's go into
1: knives. For defense, I I do think fixed blade is the way to go. I'm no knife expert by any means, um, so things have to be pretty bad if I get into a knife fight. So I will throw that out there. Usually I'll carry a folder too, and that's going to be to open up things. I that's a good one. That's yeah. the only one out there. That's right. <laughs> I'll, I'm honored to have it. That's the voracious. <laughs> Extra large. So my take on it is I, I leave this knife sharp, so this could be my last-ditch weapon. Um, for self-defense, I want to keep it sharp. If I'm using it, I might not sharpen it every day. Um, you want your knife as sharp as possible. So, I And that's will,
0: something I suffer from.
1: I will carry a folder, so that's to open boxes or to cut things. Okay. Um, so here's another option, which is a karambit, which is a, a great, great weapon. And then uh, some of these, while we're talking, I
0: this is a karambit I make. This is my U-trap uh, karambit. Uh, I am not trained in fighting with karambits, and I don't know that I would feel comfortable... Uh, <laughs> using a karambit, but there are a lot of people out there that do some pretty amazing things with this style knife. Yeah. Uh, I kind of view it as a second secondary. Uh, I do have a few friends in law enforcement. Uh, we've talked about um, secondary or, or firearm retention. So they like to keep a knife on them that they can grab with their left hand while they lock down their firearm. Uh, this was something that's that's been very useful in that type of a Scenario for law enforcement. Uh, while we're here, I'm going to talk about it. Though the the thing I worry about is if I end up using this, and this goes in front of a court, and they say, "Well, what that knife did Ryan use to protect himself?" And they pull this out. Um, you have to think about how that looks to 12 mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers. That's a pretty scary looking knife. So, um, yeah. It it can, you can look like a bad guy just based on, and and it's not correct, um, but that's just how the world we live in. Um, You could look like the bad guy because of how this knife looks, but anyway, sorry.
1: Um, And then, from there I got keys. Um, I I usually keep my kit pretty streamlined. I I like to keep not a lot of stuff in my pockets. Granted, if it's winter time, I'm able to, to stage a little bit more gear on me. As opposed to the summertime when I'm maybe wearing shorts. Um, Yeah, so here's my keys. So I got my truck key. Uh, I do keep a fire starter on there and also a backup flashlight. So this is the Surefire Titan, which is actually a really great light. Runs off AAA, which is nice. Um, But if I drop something underneath the car or have to navigate, you know, this is the light I'm going to use. I mean, there's nothing wrong using this, but... So
0: I forget we're we're doing a podcast as well. So this is the Defender flashlight
1: um, by Surefire, um, and and one thing to to realize with the flashlights, I try to to get ones that are single stage, which means when I depress the cap, um, you're gonna have one power level. So a lot of lights will have like a low power and a high power, and but some do the three flash as well. Yeah, right. Um, the bad thing about that is if, if I'm searching my house, for example, you know, I want it on high every time because it gives me the advantage of blinding, identifying from a little bit further away. But also one thing you have to, to remember is as you move up in lumens, it can hinder you. Um, I found that out the hard way. Um, one night I was, I was clearing my house and I actually had this surefire x 300 ultra on which is a 500 lumen flashlight and now as i was clearing a platform i came around the corner and it's white walls and i was probably five feet away from the wall and it's going to reflect the light back onto you so i was clearing you know hit the light and it took me a second to regain and so it's it's one thing to to keep in mind as, as lights get more powerful you know that can be great if i got to identify targets outside but inside if i can i like to keep it 200 lumens and and under and the the SureFire X, XC1 is 200 lumens as well so it's it's a little bit dimmer than the the 500 lumen ultra right which i think is a great thing but also i have two different flashlights because the mission dictates the equipment, you know, what's going on. Maybe if I'm at a movie theater, I want something that's going to reach a little bit further because my distances are going to be greater and I have to positively identify my target before I can engage. So All right, um, things to keep in mind when, when you're looking for flashlights. So if I can, like I said, if, if I can, I like to keep it at least 60 lumens. Um, when I was in the Army, clearing houses in Iraq... Uh, we, we had surefires you know I trust that brand and they were 60, 60 lumens and man back in 2003 those things were bright for right. the time um, we've come a long ways but that's brighter's still, not always better that's still the only one I have <laughs> <laughs> hey it's a great lad I mean it's it's an uh, old to, school to blind somebody so cool uh,
0: one of the things uh, I wanted to talk to you about that concerned me a little bit I, I'm a concealed carry or a concealed weapons. Is that what it's called? CCW holder Yeah. Uh, here in Utah. And Utah's a very popular permit because out-of-staters can get a Utah concealed carry permit. Um, I think it's one of the most popular permits out there. One thing that concerns me a little bit is that they don't require any practical weapon training. You sit in a class. Um, I, I love that we have it. I'm not saying that it's not a good thing. But I wish that there would be some type of Way that they could incorporate actual training with a weapon um, for those classes. Uh, What are your thoughts on people that are, you know, they're out there, people that have just done the class. They have a gun that maybe they've shot once or twice um, that they carry around. Is that someone that you would want to
1: come to your aid? Um, What are your feelings on that? In my opinion, you're more of a liability, right? Because if something goes down and you start slinging lead and you're not able to hit a target at the range, when you're calm, when you're enjoying yourself, when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, which is your fight, flight, or freeze, you, you, you don't know you're, what you're going to do. You're more a liability because, yeah. you know, there could be bystanders that you start hitting or if you can't hit them and, and stop the threat, they're going to take it away and use it on you, right. you know? So I think it's important to realize that if I'm gonna carry this, I'm gonna carry it ready, which means I got a round in the chamber. Some people don't do that, but if you need that farm, you're gonna need it now. Um, and also, you got to be real, willing to take a life if it if it comes down to it. And if you're not trained in it, man, like you're not gonna to rise to the occasion. You're not gonna be some hero. You're you're gonna be a liability. And when that stress starts happening your accuracy is already going to go down. So if you can't hit anything already, you think when when you add in stress and movement, because gunfights aren't static. Right. Like, I'm not standing still. They're not standing still when we're exchanging lead. You're going to be moving. You're going to be shooting. I mean, there's so many different aspects to, to what I call gunfighting that people don't realize. And then you have other other areas too where it's okay like do I have any any training in jiu-jitsu or, or other type of martial arts where I don't have to go directly to to my firearm because if I only have one tool in my toolbox I'm going to use that for everything right and it might not be a good situation for that so I think it's important to to have other skills and maybe even carry other equipment whether it's mace whether it's an aft whether it's some type of striking device like a flashlight but have other things you can use so you don't necessarily have to, to go straight into on the firearms because you watch the news and you see road rage instances where, where concealed weapons carrier are, are brandishing firearms. They're, they're doing stuff they're not supposed to. Because they're angry.
0: Because they're angry. Yeah. yeah. It's like keeping a sledgehammer is the only tool in your toolbox and you're pounding
1: a nail with a sledgehammer. Everything looks like a nail.
0: Yeah. It's funny he talks about being in shape Uh, The three responses you have are fight, flight, or freeze. I
1: guess if you're an overweight guy, freeze does pretty well, but the rest probably would benefit a little bit of good shape. (laughs) And and to touch on the firearms training, I mean, you want to build good habits now because you can get into training scars that we touched on a little bit where if I'm doing bad habits, you go to a class, somebody's going to have to untrain you and then reteach you and – You know, in a gunfight, seconds matter, you know, you you don't want to add extra movements. You want to be, you know, nice and fluid and make sure when you're training, you're going slow. You're, you're building those good habits on those good repetitions.
0: Okay. So I guess what Matt's saying is don't just go put bullets down range.
1: Yeah. Get good training. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it (laughs) looks cool to shoot fast, right? But, you know... My my thought on it is there's there's no advanced skills, it's just performing the basics flawlessly. Right. Like there's no there's no advanced training. It's you got certain tasks that you have to complete, but it's being efficient with those tasks and being able to do it under stress and that's that's what's gonna make you, you know, a a very safe individual or whatever you wanna call it. Well and I Obviously, it's important to build
0: those uh, fine memory motor skills because in an adrenaline-pumped body, you're not going to be able to squeeze the trigger lightly. You're not going to be able to focus in on all those things you do because you need your brain to take over. That adrenaline will just jack you up on...
1: Yeah, on. yeah I mean, essentially, you're going to freeze if you don't have that training. So the good thing about training is when I put in enough repetitions, once that stress happens... I'm automatically going to revert back to my training. I mean, I've I've seen it overseas where you know, we do what we call immediate action drills where we drill and drill and drill on certain scenarios and how we respond. And we you know, they say a professional trains until he he can't get it wrong, where an amateur trains until he gets it right. right. And there's so much truth to that. Huh. So That's good. I mean, you you do it to where it's second nature and I mean, if, if you get enough practice in, you stay on your training, when something does happen, like, you're you're going to come ahead, right? You're going to be a lot better off, you know, and, and even maybe even look at doing IDPA. I, I've shot a few matches with IDPA. Um, me personally, when I did it, I I wore the same holster I, I wear every day, the same pistol I do every day. I don't run some crazy Star Wars looking gun, um, right? That way, I get good training value, but also when you have people watching you and you're under a timer, that adds stress, which essentially, I mean, it's not going to be the stress of, of combat or a gunfight, but it's going to be added stress, and you're probably going to fumble a little bit. Like, right. you're not going to be as fluid on magazine change, you're not going to be as, as fast in getting on target, but, you know, all that stuff's going to help you in the long run. We talked about uh, personal protection
0: and carry and some of the equipment that you carry personally um what do you feel obviously when you carry a firearm or a knife it comes with responsibility you can't just act like it's a normal day you're not carrying a weapon you have to be aware that you have something that's uh potentially dangerous um what do you feel something that's really important being a person that carries a weapon on a daily basis
1: yeah, if you're going to carry farms, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of skill sets that you, that you need to have for your personal safety. Um, if you're going to carry a farm, I always tell people, get quality training. Um, the, the people I look at for specifically are people that have been there, done that. So with the wars that have been going on for, for that long, there's a lot of knowledge with the guys that are coming out. And I'm looking at people that were in special operations because they've done this for a living. Um, They've been fighting these wars for 15 years. And the fact of the matter is, if somebody does not have the skills, whatever they're teaching you is theory. So they've they've never been tested. So how do they really know that that's what's going to happen in a gunfight or that's how you protect yourself when they've never had to protect themselves? Right. So for me, I always look at, at quality trainers. There's a bunch of them out there. You know, we're, we're lucky at the day and age that we're living in. I mean, you got, uh, Travis Haley, for example, you got Johnny Primo from course of action. Um, you got, man, Ronan tactics. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of of, of good guys that have some solid experience and, Frankly, your liability, if you're carrying a your firearms and you're not proficient with it and and knowing what your limitations are and your abilities, like, man, it it's a dangerous combination because mm-hmm. the second that, that bolt leaves the barrel, like I'm responsible for it. You know, whether I'm trying to do something for the right reasons and something goes wrong, I'm still liable for it. Right. And so that's something you need to think about when you're training and when you're seeking out trainers to, to get that training with them.
0: So you, you could have the best intentions but have devastating consequences if you're not trained well enough or obviously if that bullet goes somewhere. Exactly. It shouldn't. Yeah, Then you're responsible for, for whatever happens with that. Um, speaking of Travis Haley, he's got a place here in Utah. He does a lot of training here in Utah as well as other states. But he, he teaches, uh, talks about situational awareness as being very important. He talks about opening doors for people. Something as simple as that, where you get in the habit of noticing who's around you and opening doors and holding them for. They don't have to be elderly, uh, for anyone. Um, and he says that it's a good way to just always be alert and pay attention who's around you. And um, what are your feelings on on situational awareness?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very underrated, and not a lot of people, I think understand situation awareness. I mean, when you look at situation awareness, it's pretty much just being aware of your surroundings, right? Um, And a lot of times what you want to do is figure out what they call a baseline. So your baseline is figuring out what belongs and what doesn't belong in certain environments. Um, For example, it could be, hey, it's warm outside, but this dude's wearing a trench coat or a heavier coat. You know, maybe he's trying to hide something underneath that coat. Um, it could be a crappier car in a nicer neighborhood, or I mean, there, there's a number of things that can can kind of flag it, right. Right? and you say, "Okay, I need to investigate this a little bit more," or maybe it's okay; eh, it's not that out of place, and and you go about your your day to day. But being situational aware is is huge, and I always look at being physically fit, so one one of the aspects of being physically fit is um, you're able to handle stress a lot better. It's a known fact that the better in shape I am because you're putting your body through stress, essentially, when you're working out. So your body's used to being under stress and you're going to be able to handle stress. But also, if you need to get out of that situation, you got to have the strength and the endurance to get you or your loved ones out of a situation. So... I think uh, physical fitness is also an aspect not a peop- not a lot of people think about or put a lot of effort in. It's always, you know, hey, I want weapons training, I want weapons training. But, you know, maybe that's not the best best thing to use because if I get in a confrontation, that's the first thing I'm going to go to. But maybe if, if you're physically fit, if maybe I'm taking a jiu-jitsu class or a Muay Thai class... So I have some some empty hand uh skills that I can use you know to take care of a situation because not everybody deserves a bullet like we found that overseas when we do raids on houses like people would would freak out because you know we kicked in their door we we came in and come to find out not all the time I mean a lot of times they were bad, but we also had times where People would turn in their neighbors because it was some type of, of incident years and years ago that they're trying to take care of. And so they'd be like, hey, I'll tell the Americans you did this. Take out the neighbor take, that take kicked care my of. dog Yeah, 10 years ago. Or whatever." So, I mean, just because somebody's freaking out, maybe they don't know who you are. So, I mean, you can't just shoot them. So, you know, maybe they're, you know, I could choke them out. I can, I can take them down on the ground, restrain them. Um, so being in the military, we, we had to have a lot of those skills. Um, so I think the the base is physical fitness, but I think uh, situation awareness is huge because the more I'm aware, the bigger my reactionary gap is. Okay, so your reactionary gap is essentially the distance between you and your threat. Um, I mean, you got to take in weapons, for example, but a lot of times the threat's coming from the hands. You know, if he has a firearm, his reach is a lot further. But, you know, take, for example, I'm walking down the street. You know, it's there's some dark areas. I see some movement. Maybe somebody wearing dark clothes. Somebody kind of hiding. You know, if I notice that before I get to that situation, I could cross the street. I can walk on the other side of the street. Or maybe I could go back to my car. Or if I have to go through that area, I can start staging equipment. I can grab that flashlight out of my out of my pockets and stuff like that. And I can light up those areas or I can use that as an impact weapon. So the, the more aware we are, the, the more time and the more options we're going to have right. to respond to an incident. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be with people. I mean, it could be me driving down the road. All of a sudden I'm in the far right lane and everybody starts moving out of that lane. Okay, well what's going on? Maybe there's a hazard up there and everybody's moving to miss it, where if I do it at the last minute, I might not be able to have time to react. I'm not gonna have as many options. Right. So I mean if 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 you implement this situation awareness, it's gonna keep you safe in aspects of of bad people out there, but also mitigating risks and hazards that are that are out there. So
0: so let's talk a little bit, um, say, maybe you don't even know that what you've avoided. I mean, you may, just being situationally aware, you may have avoided something that never happened. But if, if you had just walked while you're on your phone into somebody, obviously there's a chance that something might have happened. So you never know exactly. if you're situationally aware what you've
1: avoided. Yeah. In the past. So in one example, uh, when, when I was overseas, we would do a lot of patrols, which means you're, you're kind of doing a presence patrol. So they know, all right, the Americans are in this area. You know, we have no safe haven. We can't operate outside. So kind of disrupt the, the enemy. Um, but we, we had instances where we got on patrol and you know, you're, you're used to kids out in the street, for example. You know, they'd be asking for candy or, or things, or people just go in their day, day-to-day day business. But if you go down a street and all of a sudden it's deserted, you know, that should set something off and go, okay, like, you know, the something's baseline right. is normally people are out doing stuff, shops are open, um, kids are playing out in the street, they're asking for candy, and all of a sudden nothing's out there. Like, okay, something's going on, right. and they know it. Um, another example is, so when I was working for DOE, I got off work early one day and I went to Barnes and Noble and I, I pull up, I pull in, I park and I see quite a few people in their car and I'm like, Hmm, that seems kind of odd. Like just sitting in their car. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to see one or two people. Maybe, maybe they're on a phone, but people weren't all on their phones. Hmm. But there was a lot of people still in their car. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So there was, there was my first, you know, spidey sense tingling or whatever you want to call it. Right. Okay, so I start gathering more information. I get out, you know, and I'm moving kind of slow, methodical, um, not too close to cars, but also making sure I got barriers and things in place where if something was going on, because obviously something was going on. And as I start moving closer to the doors, I see this kid and he's he's moving like he's kicking something. So I'm like, ah, oh, he's kicking a car. So I see this kid kicking a car. And then I see another person and another person. And as I get closer, and, and as I'm maneuvering, I'm, I'm making sure I got vehicles in between me and them. Um, that way, if there's any weapons or, or right. anything like that. And... It actually wasn't a car. It was a kid on the ground, and they were kicking him. So there was, like, I can't remember if it was four or five people, but they were wow. they were kicking this dude. And as I got closer, too, I could see people looking out the window and stuff, and, and something was just off. And I, and I knew that from the start, and I started paying more attention. And as I got closer, I yelled, hey, what are you guys doing? I, I called the cops, you know, to kind of disrupt them because – you know, people that that do these type of things are cowards. Right? Right. Like they want easy targets. Um, they're going to have weapons. They're going to move in groups of people, and so that's why they were doing it. But it also made me realize that people don't like to get involved. Yeah. And I mean, I I get that. But I mean, there are things that they could have done. You know, maybe even honking the horn, like making noise, would would disrupt them and them leave. But I mean, it makes you think that, like, hmm. you're on your own. Yeah. Like, people aren't going to get involved. And how long is it going to take a cop to get there? Too long. Too long. Yep. Um, but the second I called them out, they scattered like cockroaches. Huh. And I went up to the guy and was like, you know, are you okay? And then soon after, security pulled up. and Wow. All of a sudden, once, once I did that, everybody started coming out of their car and they started... Acting like nothing happened, with their, to their day to day or business. Asking how they can help. That's that's no, when they, they come. They, in. they, they didn't, didn't even, even do, do that. that. Wow. Like, and I was just, I was amazed. I mean, I I get that it was a dangerous situation, and you know they could have had weapons, you know. But I made sure I had enough distance. Yeah. I confronted them from that distance. I made sure I had vehicles that I could hide behind. You know, you always want to use the engine block because right. it's, it it's most bullets. likely not going <laughs> to penetrate. <yet>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. But that was one example that, that really made me realize, you know, how important situation awareness is, but also your own protections up to you. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I have two kids and that's one of the reasons why I do what I do is to keep them safe too, because they're at an age where they can't really defend themselves. So their protection is up to me. Right. So, so let's talk about that a little bit.
0: And it plays in with situational awareness. Um, Your response uh, is different when you're alone as it would be with your family. So say you're in a situation where you're with your kids um, and you realize something's bad going on. Uh, Situationally being aware obviously gives you a lot more time to make the right decision on what to do. Fight or flight. Personally, I believe flight is a very good option in any chance that you can do that. Um, When you have your kids, flight becomes much more difficult. Um, How do you view the different responses
1: when you're with your family as you would be with just being alone? Yeah, I I agree 100% with you. Um, If I can, I'm getting out of that situation. Um, If I can't, I'm going to try and de-escalate the situation. You know, whatever the problem is, I'm going to try and remedy it. Um, I'm not going to be aggressive. You know, just make them feel like they're in the right and try and de-escalate it. Now, if that doesn't work, then it's game on. Right. Um, But if I can, I'm going to get my family out of that area. Like, everybody has to decide for themselves. And that comes down to mindset, like, you know, what am I going to do? And I think one of the things you have to remember too is that once you decide you're gonna fight, you got to decide that you're gonna fight and win at all costs. You got to have that mindset where it's like, I'm I'm gonna go absolutely crazy. I'm gonna go with number ten on this dude, and and hopefully maybe he takes an ass beating enough where he's like, I don't want any of this. But all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And but de-escalation is the first thing. And if I'm backed behind a corner, I can't get out of there. I can't, you know, leave through other doors. Um, maybe making threats towards my kids, like that's gonna change it. But if I can, I'm gonna avoid it. Right.
0: In your example of the kid getting kicked on the ground, you talked about um, criminals and cowards pick easy targets. What's a good way to not make yourself an easy target or appear to be an easy target?
1: I think one of the most important thing is having that situation awareness. If I'm alert and paying attention to to what's going on around me, they're probably not going to pick you. Um, so with with criminal mindset and stuff, I read a book a while back. I can't remember what it was, but they said it takes seven seconds for a criminal to assess somebody and decide, hey, are they going to rob rob this person or what? And you know, it's, it's crimes of opportunity. Granted, they may be staking out a parking lot, for example, at the mall, and they're looking for an easy mark. So it could be somebody that's not paying attention. Uh, maybe you're, you're on your phone, you're carrying stuff, um, your hands are completely full. But also you have to look at, what am I projecting to people? Like, I think one thing that we've kind of got away from is making eye contact with people. So if my posture, where my shoulders are kind of slouched, I'm looking at the ground, I'm not wanting to make eye contact, you know, what are you telling people? You know, you're, you're weak, you're meek. Right. You know, the, these things that we, we want to project confidence. You want to be the alpha male. Yeah. Basically. And, and make them think that because they're looking for easy targets. Right. So. Or alpha female. Yeah. I'm sure they exist as well. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, ladies. No. No. <laughs> but, I mean, when you, when you look at these guys, they're looking for the easy target. Somebody that's not going to fight back. Um, somebody that's, that has valuable stuff. So they're going to take all these things into account because if they're going to do the crime, they may have to do the time and they want it worth their while. So the, those are different things they're going to be looking at. Um but I, I try to not look at my phone when I'm walking. You know, I stand up straight, you know, I'm making eye contact. If I'm carrying things, I'm gonna carry stuff in my left hand because I carry a firearm and I'm right handed, so I'm gonna wanna be able to, to get to that firearm with, with my Don Dominant hand. Or even push a shopping cart. Right. Like instead of carrying twenty twenty bags with your hands where you can't defend yourself and you know, you're, you're being an easy target that way as, as well. So give me a scenario, uh,
0: of start to finish when you go out grocery shopping, um, kind of your mind set thought process,
1: start to finish. Man, I'm probably gonna sound paranoid, but, uh, <laughs> you already do. So I, I think <laughs> already. now, so to kind of combine everything, we'll, we'll run through a scenario, uh, uh-huh. So, of course, I, I gear up, so I look at what the task is at hand. How far am I going? Is it day? Is it night? How crowded is it going to be? All these things are going to come to play into to, to what I'm carrying. But usually I keep my gear pretty streamlined. Uh, grocery store isn't too far, so I don't need a whole bunch of gear. So I may just have a flashlight, a knife, and my pistol. On your person? On my person. Okay. You know, maybe a med kit, my, my truck. I keep one there all the time anyway, so. You should get into MERC's or fanny packs. Ah, but going back to the gray man, sometimes sure. that stands out. Like, you know, people that carry backpacks to the movie theater, like. So, I mean, you. Sorry. Situation dictate. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, it's a valuable question. You can carry more gear that way. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to an office that's. That's probably fine, or if I'm taking public transportation, that's normal. But right. you know, going back to that, you got to figure out what your baseline is. Right. So I I keep it streamlined. So I'm not going very far. I don't need a whole bunch of stuff. So I get in the car, and as I pull out of my car, I actually scan scan my neighborhood. Just just a quick scan doesn't take very long. See if maybe there's cars that don't belong because a lot of times people will scout out your house, figure out you know, when you go to work, you know, when you do certain things, that way they can rob you, right? So I do a quick scan, make sure there's, there's things that belong or things that don't belong. Okay. And then from there I leave. And so I I drive to the store and a lot of times I'll try and back my vehicle in because a lot of times even backing up, at a, at a grocery store, there's people that will try and scam you and say, oh, you hit me or you hit my car, where if I back in and I pull straight out, so we call it combat parking. Um, I don't know if you get where I'm going with this.
0: I, I can imagine a quick escape.
1: Yeah, it, it's for a quick escape too, so if it's congested. Um, so I pull in, I park, and from there, I start scanning my immediate area. Maybe you know, hey, is there a guy in the car on my sides? you know, so let me let me take you back a little bit then okay
0: so when you when you say people may be setting you up saying you hit them, that's after you've gone grocery shopping and coming out, or I mean I it it
1: can be just when you're backing up, so usually yeah it's it's probably after. You've done whatever you need to do there and you're backing your car up. Okay. So Part they can't
0: set you up while you're grocery shopping yeah. for your back out. Exactly. I it. But you. see
1: if I pull out, okay, I can see people moving. You know, I I cannot hit somebody or I can't. They won't move use you else. as a target if you're yeah. gonna pull out forward anyway. Yeah. So I got I, you I, get, can I get what see you're it. saying now. That actually happened to one of my friends was some lady said, Oh, you backed up into me and hmm. I mean what proof do you have? And as you're backing up it's it's really hard to see behind you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So I back into the parking parking spot. You know, I, I scan the cars next to me because, I mean, if, if if you're a female, for example, somebody can get out of their car, throw you into their car. Right. Um, they can jump into your car and whatnot. And uh, one part I missed is I always keep my doors locked, right? I mean, it's not going to necessarily keep people out of your vehicle, but it's going to buy you time right. and give you options, right? It's going to extend that reactionary gap that you have, and so you always want to make sure you keep your, your doors locked, so back in I, I scan the immediate surrounding near to me and then from there I kind of scan a little bit further out you know. and going back to the scenario where I saw people in the car, like you're you're looking for things that belong and things that don't belong, okay? And then from there I, I start walking in, inside the store. You know, I mean, when you park too, you might want to look for places that are well lit, um, maybe not clear in the back. Right. You know, take all these things in, in account and start thinking like the bad guy. Like if you were going to do something, where would you hide? What would you do? You know, and these are things that they they do. So, and then as I as I start moving forward to the store, if there's glass doors, I start looking inside, right? Because maybe there's something going on. I mean, if, if this was a bank, for example, and you saw everybody on the floor, like, okay, I probably shouldn't go inside okay. instead of, hey, let me check out Facebook status <laughs> as I'm walking right into the scenario, right? Right. So I'll scan through windows, through doors, okay? And then then I move in. Usually when you're inside, you know, maybe you can lower your threat level a little bit. Um, I mean, you, you can't be at red all the time. Right. Like, you will get so burned out. Like, it's not feasible. I, I'm just thinking, um, my red is not your red. <laughs> just so yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is totally different than my trip to the grocery store. Yeah. Obviously, that comes with a lot of different different history, different experiences. Yeah. And, um, and it comes down to experiences, you know. I mean, there's things that have shaped my life, uh, not just in the war zone, but even in Louisiana man like desperate people will do desperate things to survive and like good people are capable of doing bad things if it's serious enough like right. you know if your kids are starving will you take food from somebody else to to get them food like, i think history's proven that yeah people do and that's what really opened my eyes up in Louisiana was you know good people are are capable of these things but also Your protection's up to yourself. So, and, you know, if, if I'm more aware, like we've said multiple times, like, you know, maybe it's not a threat from a person, but maybe it's, you know, there's a pile of ice on the, on the sidewalk, you know, it's winter time. Okay. Well, maybe some snow and some ice came off the roof. Like maybe I don't want to walk in that spot because if more's coming down, I could get pelted with this. Right. You know, it's. It's mitigating your risk. I mean, you're never going to be able to totally control your environment. The only thing you can control is yourself. But, you know, I try to mitigate as many threats as I can. Right. Um, You know, and then going to the grocery store, like, what happens if the power goes out? You know, I got my flashlight. What happens if active shooter situation, um, disgruntled employee, whatever, you know, I have something to protect myself. I have something to illuminate my way to get out of danger. And then as I move into areas, I always look for exits, like, okay, if something did go down and I'm on this side of the store, is, is there a way to get out, you know? Hmm. Um, like restaurants, for example, a lot of times in the kitchen, there's going to be an exit through there. So right. the other exits may be blocked or not feasible of going through there, but knowing, hey, you know, a lot of times at a restaurant, you can go out the back, you can go out through the kitchen. Right. Um,
0: nice. Uh, you went through a lot of the already groceries in which hand as you
1: exit the grocery store. Yeah. So it, so as I'm leaving, of course, as I step out, I'm going to scan around and then I'm going to continue moving to my vehicle and I want to make sure I keep my, my dominant hand free where if I have to draw my pistol or I have to fight, you know, I have one hand at least able to do that or even just use use the shopping cart. right? You know. Keep your groceries in there. Push that. Because then if something goes down, you know, I'm ready to fight. Because, you know, criminals are going to look at you as, okay, you know, you're not paying attention. Your hands are full. Like, you're not going to be able to, to really defend yourself. And for you to defend yourself, you're going to have to set the groceries down and then react, right? right. Um, another thing is, is actions always faster than reaction. Um, but one thing I can do to make up time is make them react to me. So I'm sure most of you guys have seen like the 21 foot rule where the guy stands there, the dude runs at him, pulls out a gun. Well, I'm not going to stand still. If I can change directions and then make him have to change direction, now he has to think, he has to move. I'm putting more distance in. I can make them react to me. So that's that's another thing to think about is is make them react to you. Like you can't always go first, but Right. You can make them react to you. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome.
0: We'll have Matt back on. Matt's got a lot of uh, good experience, as you can tell, so we'll uh, have him come back on and talk about some more stuff. Uh, we'll also have him do some interviews. He's got a lot of buddies that are also, uh, since he's in kind of the military realm, Um, hopefully we can get him to help out.
1: Yeah, I would love to. Cool.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I had a blast with Matt. Next episode, I'm going to be reporting from the SHOT Show over in Vegas. I'm also going to be going to Tactical Knives Invitational. I hope to have some some interviews or conversations with Anthony Marfione of Microtech Knives. Uh, Eric Oaks of uh, SureWorks Knives, good close friend. Uh, Sebastian with Porka Blades. Also be talking with Doug Ritter uh, from KnifeRights.org. They protect a lot of the knife rights and change a lot of laws. Uh, Thanks for tuning in.